this gospel has so much in it. I'm going to jump right to the last verse because this is the last Sunday of Epiphany. And that is meant to get us thinking and preparing for Lent, which just is a few days away. It will begin on Wednesday, the 2nd of March this year. And the whole point of Lent, the whole purpose of Lent, is that we would renew our commitment to follow Jesus Christ. That's what Lent is all about. In the psalm this morning and in the in the epistle from Corinthian letter, in both of those, um, for me as a preacher, the, the call to preach the gospel is illuminated both in the psalm, um, the, the, the psalmist prays that he'll proclaim the goodness of God to the end of his days, that, that God has had him in his hand from the time that he was born, even before he was born, and in spite of all things that have ever come against him, he wants to end his days proclaiming the goodness of God. Um, and Paul is, is, is engaged in a challenging uh, season of his own ministry with, with the Corinthian church. But he ends that reading, the reading ends at any rate, with the, the, the purpose of being set apart for the ministry of the church, the, the set-apart ones are set apart to proclaim the gospel, the good news that God knew you before you were born, he called you before you were born, he loved you before you were born, he loves you no matter what has happened in your life, no matter where it's taken you, no matter what ups or downs or mistakes or blessings have come to you, he's in charge of your life and longs, longs for you to end your days proclaiming his goodness, and me as well. And since general in this congregation at 8.30, we're up there in years, <laughs> and there are a lot of silver hairs among us, the, that psalm speaks deeply to, to me, and I hope to many of you. But to be a preacher, to be a proclaimer of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, is to is to put before people that calling. And Lent comes around not because we're slaves to a custom, although it is our custom. It's been our custom, it's been the custom of the church that we belong to for 14, 15, 1600 years. One of the things a, a, a long life teaches you is that it goes by really quick, right? get some nodding heads, right? And do you know in the sight of God, 1,600 years is like, bang. That's a small deal. So it's really important, and one of the things the church wants us to understand is no matter what's going on in the world around us, there are eternal realities that have to be continuously re reclaimed, if I dare to put it that way, by God's people. Because, as God has revealed to us all, and our experience teaches us all, we are prone to wonder. We are all prone to, to, to move away from the good things we know and to regain or to, to, to reclaim for ourselves uh, the idea that we can somehow be in charge of our whole lives, that, that we're in charge. And when we do that, we make ourselves little gods because the the call of God on our life is that God is God and we are not. 
And today we hear the Lord again. Matthew uh, has been saying this to us, giving us reminders of this uh, for a long time now. And if you're following along in the daily devotions, we've been in this subject just very recently with the call of Matthew, who wrote this gospel himself. Follow me, Jesus says. And follow me has consequences. It has consequences. He tells one man, you may suffer if you follow me. I don't know for sure where I'll sleep tonight. I'm not sure if I'll be rejected tomorrow. If you come along with me, you're not going to have a place, perhaps. You're going to be rejected if I'm rejected. And so that's a, that's a tough word that he gives to that man. But to the very next one, who is his disciple, according to Matthew's remembrance, when Jesus says, we're going there, he says, but first I need to go there. And Jesus says, no, if you're my, my disciple, you, you, we're going there. Because he knew, Jesus knew, that he was turning toward what the world thinks he should do rather than what God thinks he should do. Now, it doesn't mean at all that it's wrong to bury our dead. But in that particular instance, that was the, the cutting edge of what Jesus needed to say to that man. You leave them to bury their own dead. They're dead. They're not following me. They're not interested in what God wants. You come with me if you're my disciple. And that's what Lent's all about. We're lost sheep. And we wonder. We have known him as our savior, if we're true believers. We have come to a living faith that puts us in these pews, or, or chairs, I guess I have to say, puts us in these chairs, and this week, back to what I think is ordinary, these guys are over here, I'm over there, but we're in them because we know we need God. We know he's called us. We know he's claimed us. We have, at different ways and different times, said yes to him, yes to him. And yet, we know that we wonder. We're prone every single day to take back control over our own life. Every day we face choices uh, of, of being rebellious sheep or obedient sheep, don't we? We all know that. And so Lent comes along as a checkup. It's a Lenten checkup. It's a time we get to clarify our calling. It's a time when we get to recalibrate how we're responding to our calling. And it's a time when we get an opportunity to recommit to our calling. And... Um, and I think, therefore, I'd like to ask you to use this last phrase of today's gospel as a pre-Lenten checkup for yourself. And I'm going to stretch you just a little by saying, I want you to think about what in your life is dead and not leading where God wants you to go. And what in your life is life-giving and is leading you to where God wants you to go. In other words, I want to say as a pre-Lenten checkup, let's leave the dead things behind and be sure we're focused on the living things as we go forward into Lent. What is deadening your life with Christ and mine? And what is giving it freshness, life, even in our latter years? Right, Fran? Even in our latter years, you'll, be, you'll regret that you told me that you just had a birthday. But happy birthday. 
Um, no matter how old we are, there are things that tug at us that will deaden the call of God in Christ. And there are things that are being set before us that if we embrace them, will be life-giving. And so, in Lent this year, as has been the custom, starting on Wednesday, there will be a service every Wednesday at noon. On Ash Wednesday, it will involve the imposition of ashes and Holy Communion at, at noon, and then at 5.30 on Ash Wednesday, the same, the imposition of ashes and Holy Communion. But on the subsequent Wednesdays in Lent, there will be a communion every Wednesday at noon. A, a simple um, co a contemplative service with a short, we pray that it'll be short, a short homily, um, and about noon to 12.45. That will be our, our prayerful target. And every Wednesday in Lent at 5.30 this year, we're going to have a service with a small short homily as well, but we're going to do evening prayer, evening prayer one of the ancient services of the church that some of you may have never done. Some may remember it from childhood. When I was a child, many churches still had evening service every Sunday. And so morning prayer was said in the morning and evening prayer was said in the evening. It was always a much smaller crowd, uh, even when I was a kid. But so there'll be a, a noon communion and a 5.30 at the end of the working day, a service of prayer and praise if you'd like to join us. And both of them are there to help us clarify where we are and recalibrate how we're living and recommit to where we want to end up at the end of our days. So I want to encourage you to pray about participating in one or the other if that seems right to you. Now, whether it seems right to you or not to be with us in Wednesdays, I want to give you a little uh, a reminder of old teaching, a teaching that I've shared before, teaching that goes back many, many, many years, and say that there are four things that all of us need to look at that help us know if we're following the Lord Jesus Christ in a faithful way. And the first of those is we worship him week by week. I don't need to speak to you about that. This is a very, very loyal worshiping community. Uh, I can count on you. I know I can count on you. Unless you're ill, I know I'll see you. I know you'll be here. Some of you early uh, helping out, and others of you always, always here to sing God's praises with me. <laughs> At least I hope you, you sing them with me. So worship is central, and worship Every week is central, and you know that. You know that. But worship is meant to get us to that place where we worship every day, where we worship every, every time something's up, every time there's a challenge, every time there's a new moment, every time there's a blessing, every time there's a struggle. We remember who we are and that we've given our whole worth, our whole worth belongs to the Lord. So worship is central to a mature Christian life. And, and Lent is a time when many people, many people make an extra step with those midweek services just because it helps them remember God wants my whole life. He wants my Monday morning. He wants my Monday night. He wants every part of me. And a second thing that we all are called to is work. 
we are to be working for the good of the kingdom of God. Every single Christian. A mature Christian knows the work that God has given him or her to do. Every Sunday we will say it. We say it before we finish the communion. Send us out to do the work that you have given us to do. And that work may only be near the end of a life that I can pray for other people. It may be very, very limited near the end. But we heard last night through our dear friend Charles Wilson of that wonderful 95-year-old that he was a part of burying the day before. Um, And how she was serving the Lord to like two weeks before she died. Still leading the choir in her little church where she had been a child. And had been serving both locally and nationally all the way up to just a few months before her death in her 96th year. She knew how God had called her. And when she was asked if she was going to step down from from the choir... And she'd been stepping down from all these other things. She said, well, God hasn't told me to step down from that yet. And, and believe me, I started to say, hun. <laughs> believe me, hun. There's my hun over there. Believe me, we're meant to know. God has asked me to do this. And, and it may be I'm just caring for, an, for my infirm beloved. My, my final work for the Lord is caring for her or caring for him. I can pray. So there's work for each of us to do. And if we're young, the, the work is going to be much more complex. Um, we've had workers this week who have done magic things at our campus. I know you all saw it. The, wor- the work that has gone in this week to put those sidewalks in for us and to rejigger the parking and to make it much more um, comfortable and and helpful for those that are in any way handicapped was largely done by volunteers. And and, and, and volunteers that were here at seven o'clock in the morning, but who had a sense in their heart that this was a work that was needed for the well-being of the church of God. They didn't come because they had to. They came because they wanted to. So sometimes the work is very simple, and sometimes it's hidden, and sometimes it's seen. But Lent is a time for us to be rethinking that. Every Christian is told to go and do the work that God has for them to do. And every Christian is to be helping other people learn to follow Christ. And every Christian is meant to do the unique work that only they can do. No one else can be you. And what God has for you is unique. And it mustn't be compared to anyone else. It's not better to preach up here than it is to help get the sidewalks in. Better is what God wants, always. And Lent Lent helps us face into that. We're to be worshiping God. We're to be doing the work he gives us. We're to be praying people, praying people. I want to ask you, do you own a new prayer book? We we were asked by the bishop, Bishop Mark, who is about to be replaced by Bishop Edgar. He's preferring us to use his 
surname, his final name, since he's known as Chip. Uh, he, that somehow Bishop Chip is just not a, doesn't have a good ring to it. So beginning on the 12th of March, just a few more weeks, uh, he'll be Bishop Edgar. He's now Bishop-elect Edgar. But we've been asked uh, since 2019 to make the 2019 Book of Common Prayer the basis of our prayers, the basis of our worship, the basis of our understanding of the Christian faith. And that's impossible unless people have a prayer book and learn to use it. Now, when I was growing up, that was a no-brainer. You just could not even conceive of yourself as worshiping in an Episcopal church and not own a prayer book. Usually, you were given one when you were confirmed. And so, the, the first prayer book I owned, I got when I was a, a real mature 11. Um, but little by little, um, that book shaped, has shaped generations and generations and generations and generations and generations of men and women in the true faith of Jesus Christ. It has helped people for over a thousand years to follow Christ more faithfully. But owning one won't do that. The only way that happens is if you own one and use it. It's meant to be a guide to teaching us to be in the Word of God every day, Holy Scripture, and to be praying every day, and to learn to let Scripture guide our lives, and prayer to be in our lives like breathing. So I'm asking Angela to put in an order for, I don't know, we'll come up with a number, another box of the new prayer books. The, this, the pew ones, like we have the red book that you see, those aren't too expensive. I think there's a, they're about $5 a piece. If you're crazy like me, you can get a leather bound one, but you have to spend a whole lot more money. And it's a bit cumbersome. Uh, it's, not, it's not an easy it's not an easy daily book, but it's great for Sunday. So learning to pray, recalibrating. How's your prayer life? How are you doing? The prayer book is meant to help you by getting you into the Word of God, which will put you on your knees, metaphorically, if not literally. So we, we're called to worship, we're called to work, we're called to pray, and we're called to give. We're called to give. Giving as God intends it is about our hearts. It's really not about any particular thing that we do. Even though, to even ponder it for a moment, it involves the time we give and the treasure we give and the talent we give. But it's really all about the heart. Do we have a generous and giving heart? Or do we have a self-centered, self-focused, self-indulgent heart? Lent gives us the chance to clarify and recalibrate and recommit. And all of it matters if we've heard Jesus say, follow me, follow me. That's the nature of my love for you, to help you learn to follow me. Because if you learn to follow me, you will learn to know and rejoice in the goodness of God and the love of God and the grace of God and the glory of God to the end of the life you have on this earth and on into eternity.
And that choice lies before us. It lies before the world. And we know right now we live in a time when most people are turning their back on that. That's not true for the whole world, but it's true where we live. It's true in this country. But it's not meant to be true of you, and it's not meant to be true of me. So what will we do this Lent? Well, as I've shared many, many times with you, we'll do what we want to do. There's not a person in this room, even the one speaking, who will do anything this Lent except what he wants to do. So the question is, do you want to do what God wants you to do? And that's what Lent's all about, that struggle. I know what I want to do. Um, I want to get to a place before I die when all I want to do is what God wants me to do. I'm not there yet. But that's where I want to be. And I think that's what Lent is meant to be for all of us who follow him.